0: Good to see you today. I hope that you're doing well. Um, I'm thinking 50 degrees in January, and we all get to come together and sing about heaven. You should be doing okay, right? I mean, it's just kind of one of these moments where, wow, that's a good song. What good stuff. Hey, I want to welcome you to our study. Um, it is a call to live a life that makes a difference. It is a call to live so as to be missed. Some of you have lived enough life that you can remember a day, maybe it was uh, right when you were getting out of high school or, or maybe getting out of college, and this was your thought. If I could just make this amount of money then, man, I would be set for life. Anybody ever have that kind of thought along the way? It's like if if you got a a number in your head, you were graduating high school, graduating college, and you were like, oh my goodness, if I ever get to the point that I make like this much, it would be like smooth sailing for the rest of my life. And now you look back and you go, how ridiculous was that? Because you didn't know then what it would cost now to put fuel in your vehicle. Right? Much less to purchase that vehicle, even if it's used. Right? You had no idea that it would cost what it costs now. Much less to do repairs to that vehicle, to insure that vehicle. And then you had no idea about what it would take to purchase a home and then to power that home and then to repair that home and then to insure that home, much less food, much less medical. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not encouraging you to whine about the fact that you have access to all that stuff. Um, Because if you don't want that, I can escort you to some places in the world where none of that would be available to you. So if that's the goal, then I can show you my my goal is not to send you into a place of whining. My simple point is you thought that having this much, whatever that number was, would make you rich. And so here's the question I'm asking today. How do you know when you're rich? How do you know when you're rich? Now here's why I'm I'm asking this question because I've I've been reading some things in the Bible and and here's some things I'm observing. In the Bible, after someone has an encounter with Jesus, often the first thing they do is to express generosity with their life. Why would they do that? There is something... About meeting Jesus that makes you so rich that you would even give all your stuff away. Now, we're only a couple of minutes in, and some of y'all are already squirming. You're already squirming. And I'm saying better to squirm now than on the day when you actually see Him face to face. I want you to understand some of this stuff now. We have been chasing out the life of a man named Barnabas in this study of what it means to live so as to be missed. And what I'm about to read to you is the first time in the story of the New Testament church that we read about our man Barnabas. We've been studying different stories of him, but today I'm backing up to the very first time we read his name. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I want you to hear what God's Word says. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Get this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Here's our man, first time he shows up. Which means son of encouragement. Sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The first story that we get Of Barnabas in this story of the New Testament church is an act of generosity. But what I want you to see is that Barnabas was not alone in his act. He was not the only one who was demonstrating such generosity. It was characteristic of all the believers of the early church. It says things like, they didn't view their possessions as something I have. But they viewed their possessions as resources to do the mission that Jesus had called them to. Now, in the Bible, there's a concept, there's a a word for that. It's called stewardship. It's a principle of stewardship. It means God owns it all, but he entrusts it to us because he blesses us, and then through us, he blesses others. And that's what we see these early believers doing. It says there was a grace sighting. I love that. There there was a grace sighting in that early church because there was no one in need. Okay, would anybody be opposed to being a part of that family? Would anybody be opposed to being a part of that kind of a culture? This was not that they were really good at bartering. This is this is not about you need something and I need something and we each have that stuff and so we'll just swap. That's not what was going on here. And this is this was not even Hey, you need something? I will give you the thing that I that I have. That that's not even what is de- is described here. What is described here is people who are giving generously out of what they have, so that that could be used. However, the need would arise. Now, in today's world, and especially in our culture, we typically think about generosity as being resp- as responding to somebody's need. A need comes along, then we respond. We see something that moves our heart and then we respond I'm telling you better than that is to simply learn what it is to live a life of generosity even in advance of whatever the needs may be that's what these people were doing now we've also studied Barnabas in a place called Antioch There were some some Gentiles there who apparently had put their trust in Jesus. And so the church from Jerusalem sends him to to, to Antioch to check it out. Is this for real? He spends a whole year there. And a part of what happened when Barnabas was in Antioch, Acts chapter 11, verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus. Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. All right, so they're like history records it. It really did happen. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by who? Barnabas and Saul. So we got the first picture of these brand new believers in Antioch. They've put their trust in Jesus. Paul and Barnabas have been been growing some roots to their faith. And what do we see them do? Generosity. The word is the family in Jerusalem will be hungry. Going to be a famine. Now, And, and so the, the, those new believers in Antioch get this. This time they, they are generous and it's not for them. Now don't get me wrong, they've been taking care of each other, but now they're giving outside of themselves somebody that lives totally somewhere else. Believers who there's going to be a struggle. This is not for themselves, and get this, it hasn't even happened yet. How do you think that would go over in the church of today? This is how it would go over. Well, let's just see how it turns up. Let's see if there's a real need, and then we'll decide if we should give toward that. I'm serious. Let's just see. Let's, let's, Let's wait till, let's see how it turns out. Let's see if there's a real need, and then we'll decide whether or not we should help. And it's what I love about these people's heart. No, before it even happens, there's no coercion. It doesn't even look like there's a sermon. There's just a, hey, these people are going to be in need. It is an opportunity to demonstrate Jesus' life. And it says that each of them did that as they were able. These are not people tipping God. Right? This is not they're throwing a 10 at God or a 20 at God every once in a while going at least there's something moving his way. No, th- these are people who give out of what they have been given. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you because this really can change how you live. In order to do that, you must choose not to make yourself the consumer of all you have been given. In order to live with such generosity, you and I have to make the decision to not make ourselves the consumer of all that we have been given. I think it's fascinating that when it was time to send an offering from Antioch to Jerusalem. Now come on, nobody's going to make a wire transfer in that day. Nobody's going to make an electronic transfer in that day. In fact, there's not even going to be a check delivered to the church in Jerusalem. That Somebody's got to carry the money. That's it. Who's going to carry the money? Let's pick Barnabas. Why would we pick Barnabas? Here's why we'll pick Barnabas. Everybody in this room knows Barnabas ain't going to take the money. Barnabas is not going to steal the money because Barnabas has proven with his life that he loves Jesus more than he loves money. He will part with the stuff in his life in order to meet the needs of other people. Are you kidding me? Barnabas would even sell a field to help you if he needed to. He'd sell a field. Everybody knows that Barnabas has lived his life in such a way that he loves Jesus and he loves people more than stuff. And that's the kind of person that you can entrust an offering to knowing there's no way Barnabas is going to mess this up or take something that does not belong to him. Now I'm challenging you today to really take a look at Barnabas' life, at the life of these early believers, and really it is the consistent story across the Bible of generosity connected to meeting Jesus. For example, remember the short guy story in the Bible? Remember the short guy story? What's his name? Zacchaeus, yeah. Um, he, he's, his name we know, spelling it, can be a whole different story. It's kind of a weird spelling, all right? And it's from a guy who struggles to spell anyways. But Zacchaeus is his name. And, and you remember, he's the short guy story. It's like he, he wants to see Jesus. He knows that Jesus is coming. But, I mean, some of us learned it when we were really young, but he's so short that he can't see him. So he climbs up in the, for the, Lord he wants to see. Yeah, you know the song, right? You got the, you got the song and everything. Now, I I do, I get it. It's really clear, you know, that he he climbs up in the tree in order to see Jesus. But the the older I get and the more I read Zacchaeus' story, there's a part of me that's convinced, because there aren't a lot of big trees in that part of the world, honestly, but I'm convinced that Zacchaeus is up that tree, not just because he's too short to see, see Jesus, but if Zacchaeus actually hangs out in the crowd, in the crowd, somebody would have knifed him in a minute without hesitation. You know why? Because Zacchaeus was a tax collector and nobody liked tax collectors. I would go further than that and tell you not only do they not like them, they hate them. And here's why they hate them, they steal from me. Tax collectors are, are really hired by Rome Rome would require that they gather a certain percentage of of income there was a certain fee that they were to collect but for tax collectors once they got past that fee that was given to Rome they could collect whatever they wanted to tell you which means they're stealing money it should have been left in your pocket it should have been for your family It should have been for you to be able to do what you want to do. But no, Zacchaeus is the kind of guy that charges what he wants to charge. He takes from us. Jesus stops that day, says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Which that alone is a statement that just blew people's minds. Because nobody's going to go to a tax collector's house. You might burn it down, but you don't want to go there. And on that day, Zacchaeus sees who Jesus is. Check this out, Luke chapter 19, verse eight. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. We often miss that one. We, we go after the one where he makes right, where, where he's, but he, I give half of my possessions to the poor. Let's just start there. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too, a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is who Jesus came for, people whose lives are messy, people that nobody else would, would dare love, people who are selfish, people, and, and this day Jesus Changed his life this day, Zacchaeus changed God's. And no longer are his possessions so important that he will steal from other people to get them. Now Jesus is so important that he will give away his possessions to the people around him to demonstrate Jesus' life. What happened? Jesus happened. Jesus happened. How about the story that John tells about the day there was a dinner given in honor of Jesus. The town was called Bethany. We're told that Lazarus was there. Lazarus, the one who had been raised from the dead by Jesus. Now, it doesn't really say it in the text, but I'm thinking Lazarus was probably the chairman of the honorary dinner, right? If anybody's going, yes, we should have a dinner to honor Jesus, it's probably Lazarus, right? The dude that was dead for four days, now he's alive again. Probably the guy who'd want to honor Jesus. Dinner is there. Told that Lazarus is there. Mary and Martha are there. And after dinner, this is what happens, John chapter 12, verse 3, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Now, most, most scholars would agree, it is likely that what Mary has in this expensive perfume, it is likely something like a dowry. They didn't keep money... Um, in banks in that day, like we we think about that, um, they would keep it in objects. So they would have things that are valuable. When Mary would be married, this is the kind of thing that they would sell, and she and her husband would be able to start a new household, a place to live. They would get their feet right under them. Judas informs us that 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 jar of expensive perfume was worth a year's wages i jokingly say it doesn't matter what the dollar amount is that's valuable to you cuz if you work for a whole year whatever the amount is you work for you're like no you're not taking it she poured that out i love the fact mary's future which at one time was in that jar Now, her future belongs to Jesus, and she doesn't need the security of that jar anymore. Now, listen to me. I'm not telling you not to save. I would recommend you save. Why? Because the Bible tells us it is wise to save. But the question is, why do you save? And if the why behind you saving is that you consume it all, then I'm saying you are missing out on something supernatural, something most remarkable, something so Jesus-like. You are not called to save that all of it would be spent on self, but you are called to save so that you too Can live such a generosity that moves the kingdom of God forward. Mary, why would you give something so valuable? What happened? Jesus happened. And then there's that little quick story that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 13. This is how it reads. It's so quick. It's like if if you blink, you almost missed it. But Matthew chapter 13, verse verse 45, Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Now, I love these little stories because we so clean them up and make them pretty. We do, we're good at this. We we clean up a little story like that and we make it real pretty. I wanna tell you, Jesus said the dude sold everything to get the pearl of great price, everything. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. That means he owns one set of clothes because he sold everything else to get the pearl. One set of clothes every day, that's what he wears. He walks everywhere he goes because he sold his car because he sold everything to get it. He lives under the bridge, just down from your house, because he doesn't have a house. He, He sold it all to get this. He's the guy that you feel sorry for him when he walks through your neighborhood every day. He's always got the same clothes on, and when it's cold outside, you want to give him $5 so at least he could buy a cup of hot coffee and maybe a little bit of food. But when you hand him the $5, he just laughs because he knows what he holds in his hand. And it is worth more than all the possessions of the world put together. What would make a man do such a thing? What happened? Jesus happened. What happens in this encounter with Jesus that makes you so rich? So rich that you would give away all your stuff. Well, think about why a lot of us buy the stuff we buy. Sometimes we buy it because there's a need. That's good. You need stuff, really do. Sometimes we buy it because we want to enjoy it. Let let me just break the news to you. God's all right with that? He's like, cool, I I give you stuff. I, I want you to enjoy Want you to enjoy. He's good with that. Quit feeling guilty over the some of the stuff that you do enjoy. Because God has blessed you. But I'm saying that so many times, beyond that, we buy out of brokenness. We buy for reasons like a search for value. We really do. We, we, we buy stuff because because we, we want to be somebody look at my car. Look at my car. My car says something about me. Here's what it says. You make a car payment, right? That's what it says. It says something, right? Or, or, or look, look at my phone. I got the new phone. I'm cool. How come I'm cool? Because the phone's cool. Until my buddy buys the next phone that I don't have, Right, And then, then instead of walking around like this, you're, you're walking around like this because you don't, you don't have the coolest phone. Isn't it wild? We can allow objects to measure our value. We can give something like a phone the power to bless us or curse us. What we do is we immerse in the socially accepted addiction called consumerism. Now, thank God we're not addicted to drugs or sex or right, alcohol or whatever. Just thank God. It's, it's none of that bad stuff, right? We, we're just addicted to something socially acceptable, consumerism. That's why we got stuff in our closets that we don't wear. We got stuff in our basements and in our attics and in our garages and in our storage facilities that we, we can't even keep track of. And I'm telling you that so much of that is we we buy because somewhere deep down, we want it to say something valuable about us. And then sometimes we buy because it's a response to hurt. The words are just etched in your brain. When they said, You would never amount to anything. And you're showing them. You're showing them. Because this is what you're able to accomplish, and this is where you're able to live, and this is what you're able to drive, and this is what you're able to do. And you and I both know it works for a little while. And then the pain comes back. And the pain so strong that you have yet to be able to actually buy anything that'll stop the pain. See, when you let stuff define you, it's never enough. But when you let Jesus define who you are, you suddenly find something that makes you so rich. Somebody who just loves me. Period. Even when I had nothing to bring to the table, even even me and all of my ugliness and all that, he he loves me. He loves me. And he says I'm valuable. And he proved it on a cross where he gave his life for me. And then there is a security in all of that that he promises to, to never let me go. And I have found in him riches that all the stuff of this world would be traded in an instant for. Now, come on, I, I know we know. We, we know some of this in the sense, if I said take out a piece of paper and write down what's most important, most of y'all will get the, most of the answers right. You would, you get a lot of them, right? Well, if I said what's most important, you, you would write down some answers and you would get it. But then if, if I said turn the paper over, and I'm including me, I'm saying if I said turn the paper over and now write down what you did this week, we know that the front and the back of the page, on a lot of weeks, doesn't seem to line up. And so, what we're talking about is living this life of discontentment versus a life of discipleship, which is following Jesus. Now, come on, our our country thrives on this word right here. It does. Our, our culture thrives on discontentment. You think you're doing all right. I got a challenge for you. Go home this afternoon and just watch commercials. You will hate your life. You will hate your life. It's like, because I I need one of those and I don't have one of these and everybody's got this and I I need another, right? You think you're doing fine and all of a sudden it's like, it's horrible. Just watch commercials. But the truth is, you and I have enough for us and the person next to us. Now granted, not if you decide to consume it all. This will never work, no matter how much you got. If you decide to consume it all, you'll you'll never have enough. But the truth is, we have enough for us and the person next to us. And when Jesus shows up in our life with a love an acceptance, a forgiveness, an embracing, a security. When he shows up in our life, we suddenly find something of value that in comparison to the stuff that we've got suddenly puts it all in perspective. And I've got eyes to see, I I don't need all of this for me. And there are people here and people here, people here and people here that I can use some of what I don't need, that in the name of the one I love with all my heart, I can meet some needs in their life. Discipleship is consistently adjusting your life to follow Jesus. That's what it is. Discipleship is, I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm seeing where Jesus is walking, and I'm seeing what matters to Jesus, and I'm seeing how Jesus loves, and then I go, okay, I want to follow him. I want to love like he loves. I want to move like he moves. I want to care for the things he cares about. Discipleship, then, is I'm adjusting my life to follow him. All right? In order to know that, you got to know where he's moving. So how do you know where Jesus is moving? That's why the Bible is so, so incredible, such a miracle that you and I can open these pages and we can read the truth about who Jesus is. This is why we just push you and push you and push you and push you to get into your Bible. This is why we push you and push you and push you to study God's word. It's not just so that you can check some boxes that you you did a little more studying. It's that you'll know who Jesus is even better. You'll know better how he loves you. You'll know better how he moves. And so when you do that, then you are ready to follow him. As you pray, his spirit that lives within you communicates with you. And so by his word, through his spirit, he guides you. And please hear what I'm about to say. Those two, his word and his spirit are always in step with each other. The day you tell me that you feel like God's telling you to do something that the Bible is not consistent in saying you should do, I'm telling you, you ain't hearing from God. His word and his spirit are always consistent. And so as you lean into him and as you pray and as you read his word, he shows you and and then then you decide to follow. Now I'm bringing this up today because it almost seems like we just scan past this, but I'm saying listen to what I'm listen, you then decide that you will follow. Discipleship is not just a sit back and wait for Jesus to fix everything. Discipleship is Jesus says, Step this way, step. Now, when he tells you, Be still, be still. And please don't hear me wrong, you can't fix your life without Jesus. You can't erase the pain without him. There there cannot be the ultimate healing of your heart and, and a love. You cannot do that without Jesus. But I'm also asking us to realize that to follow him means he will not fix all that without you willfully stepping with him. You decide to act. And so is the case with generosity. It's when you know what Jesus looks like and then you choose to act. When you face the opportunities, then you decide, am I gonna say no or am I gonna say yes? I'm given this opportunity. Here's someone that I perceive there is a need. Am I gonna say no or am I gonna say yes? And there's a part of me that fears, especially in our culture, we are so accustomed to saying no. And the reason we are is because we kind of been taught that, I mean, there are some requirements to good investment, right? We all know that in the investment world, there's some requirements to good investment. And so there are requirements to healthy giving, because you don't want to to empower, right? Someone who the entitlement issue. You 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 don't want to do that in a wrong way that sets people up for dependence and all that, right? And, and we talk through all that stuff, and that's real. It's real. Please don't please don't hear me saying that it's not. There are certain circumstances where no would be the right answer. But what happens is I fear sometimes that we put all these things in place and I'm not completely sure if this person is really trustworthy, I don't know their circumstance, I don't know if I should respond to what, to what I'm seeing and I want you to hear, hear my fear. Sometimes we can disguise a lack of generosity with a smokescreen of wisdom. I mean we can line up all our requirements and call it wisdom because it's not wise to give to certain circumstances. It's not wise to be generous here. It's not wise in in a smokescreen of wisdom. It can actually just be disguising the fact that we are really not very generous. Man, I don't want that to be me. I want wisdom, but I don't want it to be a smokescreen for my life not being generous. When I look at the pattern in scripture, when Jesus happens, generosity happens. And if my life is not really generous, the question needs to be asked, has Jesus happened? It has to be. Now, some of you... I pray that today is such an encouragement for you because some of you have walked this out in your life for so long that I pray that today is one of those days where your heart just goes, all right, it's been worth it. It's been worth all the, the stuff that sometimes I wrestle with, with, with should, I, should I go here? Should I, should I give here? Should I, should I be generous with this? And I pray that today you will be encouraged. I really do. I, some of you, you get this so Right? Today, I, I wanna give, um, I wanna give you an opportunity to be generous in places where I believe it's trustworthy. And if it's not trustworthy, then I don't need to be doing what I'm doing here. And really, we don't even need to be here today if, if these are not trustworthy places for us to invest in the kingdom of God. How does Heart of Life fund the mission that we've been called to live out? Well, we do it through a series of opportunities where we can give of our resources. One of them, you're going to love this. This is really creative. It's called the General Fund. Isn't that creative? There was a whole team of people came up with that at some point, right? It's just called a General Fund. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you. When we do this together, and we together, percentage-wise, are, are, are generous with what God has blessed us with, this is what this thing does. It, it provides like Bible study material for our kids and for our students and for adults. It, it, it provides the resources for like a, a Move 342 for our students and a prime time for our, for our middle schoolers. Real 127, Uplift, Restoration House, International Missions. Um, we're talking about doing LOL multiple times this year where we literally get into the neighborhoods, making connections. What resources all that? This does. It doesn't just fall out of heaven on Saturdays. It doesn't. There's not like some automatic thing that, that drafts every Saturday straight from, no, he, he uses God's people together to do that. Uh, you're, you're gonna love this. It pays utilities and repairs on buildings. Now, I'm telling you, this is the fun that makes all the mission really come together in terms of being resourced, and if this one doesn't work, none of the others will stand on their own. No, I get it, I get it. I purposefully mentioned utilities because when I said utilities, didn't something somewhere down near your liver quiver that you just went, yes, I get to be generous so that utilities can be paid? I mean, didn't something happen? You just went, whoo like a chill, right? Well, that ain't very sexy, is it? Some of you need to hear something. Love is not always sexy. That might be a series at some point, because I can see that like flowing over into some other areas of our lives that can get us in trouble. Love is not always sexy. If I stood in front of you today and said, I love my family, I love my family. But you know what, I have chosen just, I'm not gonna spend any money on us having a place to live. Um, I'm not gonna spend any money on utilities for them to keep them, you know, that that I'm just not, and I'm I'm not, and the food stuff, they can figure that out on their own. I'm gonna spend the money on vacation, because my family thinks I'm a hero when I do that. If I said that, I love my family, but I'm not gonna take care of this, I'm just gonna take them on vacation, you would say to me, don't say what you really think. Don't don't but you would say you don't really love your family. You would say that's not loving your family, man, because there's a part of love that's not sexy. And I'm telling you, sometimes it is it is the wrestling match of a culture that has been blessed with so much, and I'm not calling us to be shameful for that. I'm not causing us to whine about that. I'm saying we should celebrate that God has chosen to entrust so much to us, but sometimes what we call generosity is really just another attempt to feel valuable because if I can give in the right moment, then I'm the one who's the hero. I'm the one who suddenly has saved the day. You don't need to give and be generous to find value. You give because value has been declared on you by the one who died for you and rose from the dead. You're not searching for it. You're acting out of it. It's because of who he is and who he's made us to be. And I'm telling you, this is the life of Jesus' followers. This is what he crafts in us. And if that hasn't happened in you, that there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger question. Has Jesus happened? Has Jesus happened? Now, w- once we do this in a way where all of us together support all that stuff that I just mentioned, plus, like, 20 other things that I didn't even mention today but you got the picture then, then we really encourage people to then, like as you grow in, in your generosity of your, of your resources, give to things like the distress ministry the distress ministry is, is a specific fund that we set up to take care of needs because I don't know if you know this or not man stuff happens Stuff happens like people get sick. People get sick and people lose their jobs. Did y'all know that houses can burn? And when they do, how do we take care of people? How do we as the church take care of people? Well, this is the fund that helps us to do that And we can do it to the extent that together we are generous. Now, we can never figure out how to budget because God hasn't told us yet whose houses are going to burn every year. And he hasn't told us who's going to lose their job. And he hasn't told us who's going to get sick. And even if he did tell us, you'd be like, don't tell me. Don't tell me. So you really can't budget for all that stuff. So what happens is when people are then generous beyond the the general, when we bring it together, but just then people will say, hey, I got got a bonus, and so I'm giving part of this, or hey, I'm selling this, and I'm getting rid of this, and I, I want it. It's truly the picture of what happened in the New Testament where they would bring it, and they would put it, and then when those needs arise, they could be met. They could be met. I'm telling you, it's trustworthy. If that's your worry... It's trustworthy. I'm going to tell you about one more. Um, we call it Project Nick. Project Nick is um, our fund to support um, orphans in multiple places across the globe. Um, we currently support 175 orphans in multiple places across the globe. On Christmas Eve, you saw Myanmar. Right, if you were here for Christmas Eve and you saw the video and, and the Myanmar shelter was there, Heart, I, Project Nick helped build that shelter. And just like that one, there are multiple shelters across. And so the, the, some of these kids come because their parents die in war, they're orphans. Some of these kids are there because they have been abandoned due to physical appearance or health issues. Some of the children that we support, we found in the garbage. We found them in the garbage. And now they live in a shelter where they're safe. And they get food, and they get clothes, and they get an education. And we point them toward the one who loves them like crazy. His name is Jesus and he's why we would give everything. And we do that for $444 a year per kid. Don't you wish you could do that for your kid for $444? Shelter, clothe, feed, educate, and point them to Jesus for $444 a kid. That's why I'm telling you it's trustworthy. It's trustworthy. Some of you are like, I think I just spent $444 at the dentist, right? Yesterday, or the, or the doctor. Or, I mean, $444 can, can go in a heartbeat when it comes to taking care of your kids. That's $37 a month, 37 bucks. But I got better news for you. Because we have partnered with a nonprofit organization called Orphans Hope, Orphans Hope matches every single dollar that Project Nick gives to orphans, matches it, which means for $37 a month, you would actually be sheltering two kids, feeding two kids, educating two kids pointing two kids to Jesus because for every $444, it actually turns into $888 because God is good. I'm saying if you're looking for a trustworthy place to demonstrate the generosity that God has demonstrated in your life, these are trustworthy. And come on, I'm not being ugly with the statement I'm about to make. If you don't trust those kinds of things here, you got to find a place that you do. I want you here. Don't, don't hear that. Like I'm saying, if you don't, people turn all that stuff into weird stuff. Pastor Jeff said, if you don't give, then that's not what I'm saying. I said, you need to find a place where you will trust. Your heart is worth finding a place where you will Trust. That you will start to live out. And if it's not here, we will help you find someplace. We, we will help you. But do it. I'm saying at some point, you see where Jesus walks, then you've got to make a decision to step. He is not going to suddenly turn you into a generous person as you sit in your recliner and watch the Super Bowl. He won't. you got to step you got to step. I'm encouraging you to step today. I'm encouraging you to step today. Some people think when we talk about this kind of stuff, that must be so weird for you, Jeff. And it's like, eh, not really. Because when you actually look at it a truthful way and you stop manipulating people and you stop like making stuff up about money where if you give something, then God's going to do something and stop all that and just say what it is. It's actually the thing that, oh my goodness, why would you not call everybody on the planet to it? Why would you not call everybody to such a life? Opportunities here, um, you hear us say it every week, those boxes that sit at the, at the edges of the building. Um, some of us do this online, that's how I do it. Um, um, actually, the majority of people who give as a part of Heart of Life, it happens online. That's just kind of the world in which we live. And so every month we, we go in and you know you can set it up automatic to where it just does automatically what you, what you know you, you want um, you know, your generosity to be. And then in the times you want to switch it or you, you want to do whatever you can. It, it gives you the complete ability to do that. Other people you know, actually like putting it in the boxes. They like, like you know, when they're here and there's something about that for worship. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. All that's worship. It's worship. So whether you do it online or whether you physically drop it in a box here, it's worship. When, you, when your heart is, because I love Jesus, this is the mission we've been called to, I want to resource the mission that other people might know they are loved. It's worship. Worship is not confined to the hour and a half that we meet together. It's not. Now, I get it. I get it. And, and so much so that I think going forward this year, we're going to make a real effort that every time we come together for this kind of gathering, that we're at least going to highlight how valuable this is to your heart and pause for at least up some moments to celebrate the fact that God has been generous and that he lets us be a part of that. I think we're going to do that. I haven't figured out if we should pass baskets like again or something like that because people get so squirrely with that stuff. People get weird with all that stuff. But sometimes I think it's worth it just to highlight here's what we're about. I don't know. I just want our heart to be right. I just want our heart to be right. It's, it's no or it's yes. Next week, I'm, I'll, I'll give you, next week won't just be about giving, all right? So you don't have to stay away next, next, you don't have to stay away next week. You can, you can actually come. We're, we're going to kind of wrap some of this stuff together. But I am going to tell you about something that God is currently, um, I think, leading me to practice that's very doable, it's not like some crazy, some supernatural, super spiritual, I mean, it's just something very practical that I think God's leading me to do that I wanna, I wanna make sure that, um, that my heart is what I think it is. You know what I'm saying? That, that it really is. And so next week, you already got enough today. I, I, I'll give you a little bit of that next week. Um, I'm encouraging you though if you're not stepping in this direction. Man, you're missing out on life that Jesus brings. So I'm gonna pray and then, and then we're gonna sing a song and that's kind of funny because this week I'm like, they're like, what's the topic and I tell them the topic, you know, and they always get excited about when it's this topic and, and he, here's the fact. If we were singing about grace today, we have this, we have this pile of songs, right? It's, it's, it's a database of songs. It's literally tens of thousands of songs Right, right? Tens of thousands of songs. And if I said, hey, it's on Grace today, there would be 3,837 songs to choose from. That's pretty cool. If I said it was on Assurance today, there would be 2,718 songs to choose from. If I said, hey, let's celebrate Christmas at the end of January, there would be 5,010 Christmas songs that we could sing today. If I said salvation, there'd be 5,904. If I said prayer, there'd be 4,562. If I said praise, there would be 16,086 songs we could choose from. But no, I said generosity. There's 40. Most of them are in German. I'm not making it up and we basically knew none of them. I'm just saying. 16,000 songs of praise and none that we know about generosity. I'm afraid that is a mirror of the culture in which you and I swim against But children of God, it is worth swimming with everything you got. No manipulation, this is not about coercion. This is about loving Jesus. And so, we will sing about him. Let me pray and we'll sing it together. God, um, what a beautiful picture in that early church. People, people whose hearts were so overwhelmed with your, your grace, so overwhelmed with your rescue, um, that it became evident in the way that they saw their stuff, God, their possessions, what they, what they had been blessed with suddenly became an excitement for them to be able to bless other people. And God, I realize there's a lot of stuff that has to happen probably across our hearts today, but I'm asking you to do it. I, I'm asking that today might be a first step in, in some, some loosening of the grip that we often have, where we put our security, where we put our value. And God, instead, there is something of such great price. There is something so beautiful. God, would you give us eyes that can see today who Jesus is, to see a sacrifice that has been made to see a resurrection that is real. We sang earlier about a place one day that we call heaven. God, so, we are so rich. God, we don't want to be the consumers of all that. Will you show us? And then will you help us to step in the name of Jesus? Amen. Let's stand together. We will sing it.